Welcome to Acute Conversations, the official podcast of APTA Acute Care, where we share engaging conversations about acute care physical therapy so you can connect to your profession. I'm Ashley. And I'm Leo. Today we chat with Rebecca Seagraves, Jenna Seagraves, Erin Locati, and Ann Krogan. Rebecca is founder of Enhanced Recovery After Delivery. Jenna is an assistant professor in the PT program, and Erin and Ann are both acute care pelvic and obstetric PTs. Today we discuss the importance of PT involvement in the obstetric patient population, how to influence outcomes, and why aren't we already doing this as acute care PTs? Let's welcome our guest. Thank you and welcome for joining us on Acute Conversations. We've got a huge team today. Very excited for this episode. So thank you so much for joining us. We barely have any screen space because we've got all these fantastic people here. I know this uh, is the most we've ever had on at one time. Yes. This is going to be exciting. Very cool. So why don't we open up a little bit about what are some of the things that you maybe want to share with our audience? What are the big ticket items that you want to talk about today? Yeah, we definitely want to hit on acute care, physical therapy, occupational therapy after birth. Fantastic. Now, this is pretty funny because it's not standard of care, right? Especially, you know, I, I was thinking about people that have friends and family of mine that have had especially C-sections and like thinking as a physical therapist from a physical therapy lens, why is physical therapy not automatic consulted kind of like post-joint replacement, post-open heart surgery? Could you talk a little bit about, about that need that we have within the profession? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the big question is why isn't it? Because mm -hmm. it really could be. It's a major abdominal surgery. And, and yeah, so why isn't it? Why aren't we choosing to do that as physical therapists and serving that population? So uh, Re Rebecca and um, Aaron and Jenna and I were talking about this a little bit through text message this morning and last night. Aaron had a couple of really good points that I'd like for Aaron to bring up. So when it comes to why aren't we seeing patients after pregnancy and childbirth, like Leo was saying, a C-section is a major abdominal surgery, even a vaginal delivery, right? Pregnancy and childbirth are these massive physiological events that affect every system in your body, not just the obvious musculoskeletal changes. There's no system that's untouched. And a lot of those things persist for a long time afterwards. It seems like it's something that's totally up physical therapy's alley. Why aren't we going there? And I think there's a lot of big barriers in the system to it. One of the big ones is that I think as a society, we just don't really value maternal care as much as mm -hmm. we do some mm -hmm. other diagnoses. Yeah, you, know, you can see that in all kinds of policies around childcare, around you know, leave for having children. I also think that even us as physical therapists, we're just not comfortable with going to see this population because we have this huge gaping hole in our education around mm -hmm. physical, I mean, around pregnancy and postpartum care. Even though C-section is the most common surgery, not just abdominal, surgery in the United States, it blows total knees and total hips out of the water in terms of the number that are happening. And the CDC estimates that around 80% of U.S. women by the time they're 40 will have had at least one kid. So this is one of the most common medical diagnoses you will ever see as a physical therapist. And yet in school, you don't really learn a whole lot about that. And I'm actually going to throw it to Jenna and Rebecca because they are professors at PT school programs. So maybe they can talk about kind of their perspective on what's missing in our education. Yeah. And I would I would love to know as you throw it to them. Can you tell us like if you could tell anybody out there that's listening to this podcast that teaches 
What are like three most important things you would want them to impart on their students? I would want this to... population. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, well, do, yes. are you telling me to say that or for no? <laughs> yes, to learn about this population. What do you want students to learn about this population while they're in PT school, right? So they're prepared yeah. when they come out. Go ahead, Jenna. Yes. So one of one of the biggest things that I really want students to take away is instead of having this lens that this is a very specialized topic, view it more as what are the red flags that, that you're being taught to screen for with any patient population? Mm. What, are the, what are the contraindications to therapy? What are potential signs and symptoms of a DVT, a mm. pulmonary embolus? These are all things that could also happen in this patient population. And so that's a huge one. It's just being able to take what what you're already learning in your program and in your curriculum and just apply it to this other population. There's not necessarily a huge significant change between what you would do in acute care with someone after an abdominal surgery, a, a cabbage, a total knee replacement versus this population as well. Another big piece is I think if we go back to the initial question of why aren't we seeing this population? I think that Aaron and Anne really touched on such a great point that we may lack this education in in programs. But I think there's also a big misconception that from physicians, from the other uh, members of the healthcare team who are like, well, they're up and walking. And how many times do we as therapists have to advocate that we don't just walk patients? We don't just yes. transfer them out of bed to a chair, there's so much more that we do. And a Amen. lot of it involves just education. Thank you. And, yes. um, <laughs> Absolutely. Preaching to the choir here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So much of it is education because being able to identify what this individual needs that's right in front of us, they may not need that specific gait training. They may not need those cues for heel strike, but what are the social determinants of health that this individual has? And acute care therapists are the best, highly qualified in order to address that. I don't think that there's any other setting that does as deep of a dive of someone's home environment, their support system that they have, what are, what are the duties they have to go back to doing, and then actually trying to simulate it in the hospital before they go home. So if well, there's a way that we can... Response. Literally, oh. like I'm giving goosebumps. <laughs> I'm like, yes, yes, yes. yes. Tell us more. Tell us more. I know. Let's get everyone excited about it. And so to go back to curriculum and where it fits, there's not one particular spot. It can go in a number of places. Can go it's, If programs have acute care content, th these can be case examples. When they, if they cover pelvic health or women's health, there can be case examples as reminders that things can go wrong. And what are those red flags that people need to be looking for? I bring it up. I teach the neuro curriculum. And so I will have cases where neurologic events happen in these individuals after they returned home from the hospital because they did not receive therapy beforehand to catch some of those physiologic changes that I, I want to hear from the other one of you, but I want to throw this out there before the next answers. So I'm actually adding this in one of my courses this year because it's not taught. Um, so so I know because I was I actually threw it out to all the faculty. I'm like, what is not being taught? Because I teach this kind of end of 
like culminating their into their foundational, which is management of the complex patient, right? Like, so I was like, yeah. I can throw in what I want in here. So I'm, I'm going to include like OB care and OB patients. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say like, I don't treat that population on a regular basis. And the only time we were consulted in the hospital was when a patient was having trouble walking, just like you said. So, and I think, I think the thing that scares people and the thing that scares me is I don't want to say something wrong because really if it's, if it's before the child is born, you feel like I'm treating two people mm-hmm. and like, you know, it's a little scary, right? Cause there's like a baby in there. So what advice would you give to people who are kind of like, Ooh, you know, there's like, there's like a baby in there and I don't want to do any harm. So therefore I'm just going to be really careful and cautious, which is also not necessarily a good thing. Right. I, Ashley, you're absolutely right. So I teach cardiopulmonary and pathophysiology. And so I include the OB population with the understanding that, yes, there's a baby in there. But in terms of what we're doing with every other patient population, if we're not taking vital signs on that individual while they're pregnant during a high-risk pregnancy admission or immediately postpartum, especially if they've lost blood, then we're missing windows of opportunity to intervene mm-hmm. for an individual who can be physiological, physiologically unstable. So let me explain how I teach this. We'll talk about the pregnancy and postpartum period, and we'll talk about blood flow, and we'll talk about how much the heart now has in terms of volume Mm. to move between the mother and the fetus. That affects stroke volume, that affects uh, cardiac output, that affects heart rate. And so when that individual now transitions and is in postpartum, if they've lost a lot lot of blood, what I'll tell the students is I want you to now go through this case with me and I won't treat it very differently than I'm treating someone who just had a cabbage. I'm normalizing this population in our current curriculum so that they understand why nursing practice, which is current with all populations, why current nursing practice takes blood pressure and takes heart rate and takes SpO2 at rest and is not doing it with when these a- individuals are active, mm-hmm. that we have to fill in the gap as therapists with every single patient population. The OB population is no different. And if we see more than an 8 to 12 increase in heart rate and blood pressure with any patient population, including someone who just gave birth and just, just lost a significant amount of blood, whether it was a cesarean delivery or traumatic birth, then we'll we'll have to do is we'll have to modify their activities so that they're not going home and having a cardiac event or having a, a stroke or or an infection of some kind that could have been resolved with an, modifications in the hospital, especially with the activity they're meant to go home and do and perform with their baby. So I really frame it in the in the hospital setting with students to understand the acute interventions that we're providing and that we really only provide for every population. I might have a new passion after this podcast. Like I'm not kidding. Like y'all are like, you're making me go, oh my God, yes, this is amazing. Like, why don't we do this? Because now I'm thinking, you know, yes, with activity, that's so important, right? Because everybody that's pregnant thinks they need to modify their activity and they can't do this and they can't do that, right? I might like split open my abdomen and get the diastasis recti or whatever it is. But then they're going to go home and have a completely different lifestyle, right? Because they have a baby to care for. And like, how can they do that safely? And that's activity. And oh my gosh, you're just like, I'm like, can I zoom in on one of your classes? (laughs) Because I do cardio pump as well. And I'm like, I want to do this. 
Yeah, you're saying some of our favorite words, right? Cardiac output, yeah. SpO2 levels. Now, I, wa I wanted to ask this question because we as acute care therapists, we're in this novel and unique situation, whereas some of these patients might not even know what a physical therapist is or might have never had a history of ever having or working with a physical therapist. So it's a unique opportunity. This might be the entry point for a patient to be exposed to physical therapy. And it's unfortunate that sometimes we're kind of consulted on the latter things or when things are, are, have gotten worse, right? But could you maybe talk a little bit about why like we're so unique? Because again, there's some people that might not never get exposure to a physical therapist. And here's a unique opportunity for us to kind of, with, with all the tools and knowledge that we have to be able to share that and impart that and educate our patient population. No, you're so, you're so right. Go ahead, Ian. I feel like Ian was going to say something. I have so many things going on in my brain, Aaron. Go ahead. <laughs> 30 minutes may not be enough for this podcast. I know. <laughs> I mean, when I, when I like to think about, because I like to think of things really simply, if I told acute care PTs that most of the people who had knee replacements who went home within the first 42 days, a certain percentage of them would have a DVT and a PE and a stroke and maybe an infection and a hemorrhage. If I, if I said that those things were, would happen in a certain number of that population, would it be, I can't think of the right word, but it would be those acute care physical therapists would view that as the perfect opportunity to intervene early, mm -hmm. give patient mm -hmm. education, and do a proper assessment of vitals and of the wound and look at all of these things so that we could decrease that death rate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yet we have that and we don't do that. And mothers are dying and, and we're not doing anything about it. And as acute care mm -hmm. PTs, this is the perfect opportunity to actually really like make a difference in the life of a mother and the life of her children and the life of that community and we're missing it and it and we, we can't do that anymore we just can't we have all this evidence and all these fancy words to go with why we should be doing these things and yet we still hang our hat on well i'm afraid that i might do something wrong to this mom and new baby or i i don't like this population or they're up and walking so do they really need me but yeah mothers are dying and so it's really frustrating to just watch that happen and hear people say no and not challenge themselves to say yes and make a difference in lives. And it just got real in here. I mean, sorry, seriously. like, no, but I'm serious. Like this is, it's really a serious topic. I mean, if, if we want to talk about mothers dying, it's, I mean, it, it is very much a problem. And I feel like we are in a perfect spot to to be there to help prevent and to educate. And so I, I can change what I teach in course, my course, right? But that's not going to change practice. So I would love yes, to hear yes. from you all. Yep. It will, yep. yes, it will. But like, but but what I want to hear from you is eventually it will, right? It can no. help one person at a time. I love that. But what I'm thinking is like those students are still a few years away from actually being practitioners for those people out there practicing right now in a hospital. Right. That are listening to this and they were like, they're like me. They're like, yes, like this is important. I want to do this at my hospital, but they're not doing it now. What advice would you give them? What are the like one or two or three things that you're like, this is what you need to do to start this at your hospital and make this happen? 
I would say that there are a lot of great training opportunities out there. If you feel like you do need some extra training, can I say courses on here that aren't like EPTF related? I don't want to. But there are a lot of great training here, like enhanced recovery after delivery protocol, right? It's a really involved course that's going to teach you everything you need to know. They also offer through the pelvic health network and enhanced recovery after delivery, a number of like smaller courses that where you can take pick and choose things that you think fit the deficits that you have or the knowledge you want to gain right now for the time that you have. There are definitely options out there where you can learn a lot more. And I would say don't don't let your fear stop you. Like Ian was saying, this is a really big deal, right? Stop thinking about pregnancy and postpartum care as this special little niche area that doesn't deserve to have like a solid place in PT school, for example, or a solid place in your knowledge, right? When I went to PT school, it's really treated at, we didn't even talk about pregnancy or childbirth. We didn't learn the pelvic floor muscles. I had to memorize all the muscles in my hand, right? Their origins and insertions and innervations. And I, we just skipped the pelvic floor. Wow. Like we didn't even name those muscles. And I didn't realize till after I graduated that had happened, that we just skipped them. And, you know, you can do a lot of training on your own online to learn that. But I also think that what you're doing at your program, Ashley, is really, really is important. I know saying, you know, they're not going to be PTs for a few more years feels far away, but that can make a difference to somebody, right? This is a change that's for the long game, right? Instead of telling students, you're just going to have to wait till you graduate and spend thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours of your own time to learn about this specialty area. But like Anne was saying, like I said earlier, this is millions and millions and millions of people. It's one of the most common diagnoses that you're ever going to see. So don't be afraid. I know it can feel scary because you don't know what you don't know, but there's a lot of great training out there. And if you want to start small, start with C-sections is a great place to start because you probably already know how to see an abdominal surgery patient and apply principles like you would do a cardiopulm patient to them because those are some of the most common complications postpartum that are killing our moms. So checking your vitals with activity before, after, during, I think is a great place to start. And now a quick announcement from APT Acute Care. Are you interested in learning more about acute care residencies? APT Acute Care is holding a free town hall Acute Care Residencies, Everything You Wanted to Know, a discussion with program leaders on October 26th. This event is free for members and non-members, though space is limited. The registration link is included in our show notes. And now, back to the show. So let's say they take the course, they feel educated, they feel ready. Like, how did they start getting the consults, right? Like, how does that happen? (laughs) <laughs> Thank you, Ashley. That's exact. So I was about to say, and to jump off of what Aaron just said. No, that's great. And so I, I agree with everything Aaron said. And so once you yourself as a clinician, you're like, oh my gosh, this makes total sense. I need to see this population. I see abdominal surgeries all the time. Well, what do I do now? I know what to do, but how do I get this program started? How do I actually get in that door and get to work with that patient? Being able to get your manager involved as well as your other colleagues to be on board with this program is really important. And so starting with a simple in-service, I think could be really helpful. What I've done in the past is I will bring in an in-service related to, hey, how do we improve our how we're evaluating and treating the abdominal surgery population? 
And within that, I include this population. I include cesarean section so that they can see, oh, and once you get a larger team, it's really hard to do this on your own as one person. So you need, you need team members. You need others who agree with you. So getting your manager involved to support this and then providing that education to the physicians and the other members of the maternal care team. Many of them, many hospitals have, they, they have quarterly meetings within certain disciplines, within certain units. And so most of the OB units will have quarterly meetings. They have different names for them. It could be mother-baby, it could be perinatal quality meetings. But once your manager's on board, that person will now know the different avenues to go and you can provide an in-service to them because they also need to be on board with the implementation of this. So I hope that sort of helps answer that question. No, that's great. I mean, I think that's really great. And I mean, the next step for me is like, because I used to cover the OB ward one day a week, we would take turns who would cover because we didn't get a ton of consults. And I remember I would get patients who were on bed rest, right, prior to having their baby. So they would want you to like maintain their strength. And so I'm just thinking of like, I'm trying to envision like the the different consults you may get and what they may be for. So I'm curious if you all can share with us like a range of the type of patients you might see in acute care from those maybe on bed rest waiting to have the baby to all the way after having the baby. Like what is the spectrum there? Yeah, sure. It really honestly ranges from that high risk antepartum population to someone who the surgeon is really trying to prevent or treat a post-op ileus. And so the consults that we were receiving initially were cesarean hysterectomy. Those are one of the most involved surgeries that you could undergo during childbirth. And that's where the hysterectomy is removed, which ends up being about a three to four hour surgery versus a 30 minute C-section. And so post-op ileus, like with any abdominal surgery, is a huge major concern. And what we were doing, we were walking into the rooms and we were seeing that the abdominal binder was put on over the apex of the abdomen, right? The largest area of the abdomen and completely not covering the incision that was down below. Or if it were, you know, a vertical incision, it was leaving that whole bottom half of the incision out. And so what we were doing in terms of education was not just patient education on abdominal binder on positioning because they were in bed at a 45 degree angle. No one told them to lie down flat, that would be synonymous with having a post-op knee replacement over a pillow. I mean, just think about that. When you actually think about the position that these individuals are in after a major abdominal surgery, like a cesarean hysterectomy or a C-section, and they're at a 45 degree angle, no one's preparing them to go to bed at home. They're already putting their incision at such increased tension. And so the education to the team, I totally agree with Jenna, but we were actually upstreaming that to actually educating the patients, requesting permission to take pictures of what we saw because these abdominal binders were put on by nurses. And we were using that one photograph to educate everyone and to say, just like we did with ICU early mobility, we want to front load care. We don't want to wait till these individuals come back to the hospital with infection or with pre, a postpartum preeclampsia, or with cardiac issues, we want to front load our care. We want to teach them how to get out of bed, how to actually move, how to walk, how to 
one, monitor their own vital signs at home because a lot of our moms are being sent home without knowing how to actually take their own blood pressure. Mm. And so we started that in the antepartum population too, because a lot of those individuals during their high-risk pregnancy knew they were going to have a C-section. So guess what we were doing? We were actually teaching them how to breathe and log roll out of bed to not put more pressure through where they would have their incision or their pelvic floor. So the upstream model of care to me works best in the hospital where we have most access to these individuals who in my own practice, I saw more uh, women of color in the hospital than I did my outpatient pelvic health practice. I mm. knew I had to move in the hospital if I was going to reach my community, mm. especially my community that's vulnerable during the maternal period. Mm. Yeah. And kudos to you. The picture idea is great. Like a visual, I think is so helpful. They say a picture is worth a thousand words, right? Like just showing that picture, that's a great idea and a great place to get started. Mm -hmm. Can I no. piggyback off what Rebecca said there a little bit? Something that I really love about acute care is that it's a great equalizer, right? You're going to see all populations there, regardless of their socioeconomic status, regardless of their insurance status, their support system status, anything about them. They're going to be in a hospital and you're going to see them as an acute therapist because hospitals are required by law to provide care and stabilize people regardless of any of those socioeconomic factors, any of those social determinants of health. And like Rebecca was saying, when she was working outside the hospital, she wasn't seeing a lot of the population she gets to see in the hospital. And that's because in almost any other setting you work in as a physical therapist, someone has to get past those access barriers of, do you have insurance or can you afford to cash pay? Do you have the ability to get yourself here during the hours that were open? So whether you're in a SNF, an inpatient rehab, outpatient home health, you're probably not going to be seeing a whole huge percentage of the population that you will see as an acute care therapist. So for a lot of those people, like Leo was saying, they've never had PT before. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, a lot of them may never get PT again. Mm -hmm. What they're going to get is what they will get in the time with you. And that makes the time that you are spending with them valuable. It makes it important. That's why it's more than just getting people up and walking. Because mm -hmm. you could be the first, last, only person that they see and for pregnancy and postpartum, they are the ultimate complex patient that really shows our skill, right? I know Ian was talking about people like, oh, they can get out of bed, you know, mod I, so they don't need PT, do they? But I think we've touched on in here in, while we've been talking that just like Rebecca was saying, if you went in and saw a knee patient and their incision was positioned funky, you would immediately know the implications of that. So right. you can apply that also to wound healing in the postpartum patient. If you went to see a patient that had had one of their muscles in a prolonged stretch position for months, like maybe in a cast or a splint of some kind, you would immediately know the implications of that, mm. right? Same thing applies to this population that had their trunk muscles positioned like that for months, right? And then you layer on top that car the cardiac system changes during pregnancy, the pulmonary system changes during pregnancy, the renal system changes during pregnancy. This really is the ultimate skilled population. So don't let people tell you, Oh, they're walkie-talkie, so it's not skilled therapy. Um, actually, opposite. They're the most skilled patient you will probably ever see. See, I, I feel we're so, we're, it's such a cool position to be an acute care therapist, to be able to use these tools. And these are bread and butter tools that we learn. Taking vitals, checking posture, right? Assessing movement and applying it to this population. It's, I'm going to walk away from this conversation feeling like, oh, I really, my job is cool. You just confirm me that. This job is an awesome job. Now, I, I do want to piggyback off of you, Aaron, because you had mentioned some things like reimbursement and access to health. 
the four of you have this great article that was in the Academy of Public Health Physical Therapy through APTA. And, and you had brought up some interesting statistics that I just want to call to mind that six weeks postpartum is the highest risk for readmission. And we know how, how problematic readmission can be. And if we can, like Rebecca, you had said, if we can catch things upstream beforehand, right, to prevent these things. And that this was a staggering statistic I looked at that's 57% of maternal deaths occur within that six-week time frame. Could you give us a little bit more information about it? And, and this is a fantastic article. Again, we'll put in the show notes for those uh, in the audience that maybe are interested in, may, in uh, working with this patient population or increasing the amount of uh, opportunities to kind of take the work with this population. Can you maybe show, share a couple words about this article? Fresh off the press, too, I think, right? At the beginning of <laughs> I know, right? And I think, Rebecca, actually, you got that open access, correct? Yes, yes, absolutely. Wow, awesome. That's yeah. hard reading. <laughs> yeah, right? So that article is, is almost is like a handbook in a way. That was the way, way we wrote it was so that you could read through that article and really feel like you had some basis of information to start. And we even go through like system screens and what an eval would look like. Um, so it really is gold. And starting there is a good place. And Rebecca... And Jenna, I'm pretty sure worked really hard to get that to open access so that we could all be able to read it and use it to inform our practice better. Awesome. Thank you. Amazing. Good, good work for all of you. Seriously, like kudos. Because, you know, I, I, it even opened my eyes so much that I'm just like, yes, this needs to happen. Why aren't we doing this? So you've got somebody on your side now that I'm going to go advocate and I'm even thinking, like, I just started a PhD program and I, I need a dissertation topic. So, oh, you know what? This might be a good thing. I might be picking your brains sure. because I right here with access to a bunch of patients and we have a maternal ward. So, yes, do it, Ashley. Do yep. it. Come on. Do it. Do it. Well, Leo, I, I think we have to move to rapid response I now, though. Time and it's time. I know I could talk about this all day, but we got to We got to quiz you all. We'll, we'll see if uh, from the audience if they request for a second a second podcast, maybe we'll invite them all back on, which I think absolutely I likely. I think big things are coming from this group, so I think we're going to need to have them on again. Mm -hmm. All right. So, do you all understand our rapid response how this works out? She and I are just going to throw out some quick questions, and because it's a cute care, you got to respond quickly right away. The first thing that comes to mind. Go for it. All right. Uh, how should we take this? Ashley, we kind of we'll go back and forth. I can take. I think I think what we'll do since there's four of them, this is this is a now this is a first for Le for us, Leah. Unlike the last one, this is a first. I think what we'll do is with one question, maybe like Rebecca Jenna both answer, and then for the next question, okay. Aaron Ann answer, and we'll just go back and forth. So Leah usually asks the first question, so we'll kick that to Rebecca Jenna, and then Aaron and Ann, you'll answer my questions. Does that sound good? Okay. Ooh. And what's our time? Yes. We got the timer ready. We'll do two minutes and we'll have you all answer the last question. Though. Yes, absolutely. Oh, all right. You go. ready? Yes. And okay. go. All right. So Rebecca and Jenna, what is your most favorite scrub color to wear on a cute care? Green for sure. Teal. Teal. <laughs> Teal. Okay. Erin Ann, are you a morning person or a night owl? Night. For morning. <laughs> Rebecca and <laughs> Jenna, give me a song that's on your workout playlist. My power, Beyonce. Journey, anything by Journey. <laughs> What's your favorite way to exercise? Lifting weights. Uh, 
Yoga. <laughs> Nice, Anne. <laughs> Rebecca, Jenna, do you prefer thin slice pizza or deep dish? Deep dish. Okay. I would go with thin. All right. <laughs> Wait, we're, getting, we're not going to get into that, Leah. Okay. All right. Get your whole Chicago, New York thing. Aaron and what other podcast besides this one would you recommend? Oh my goodness. I'm kind of a podcast junkie. I've got so many. Oh, the okay. The first, the first one that popped into my head has nothing to do with physical therapy. It's called The Good Faith Podcast. It is a religious based podcast. However, I think it's an amazing podcast, even if you're not religious. I actually am not religious at all, but I started listening to it because there was somebody, a guest on it that like I recognized and I've continued listening to it. And it is just really inspiring about like looking at the world through a lens of service to others and ways you can incorporate that into your life. So I guess that's what I That's awesome. I did have to pause the timer on you though, because that was Sorry, a good I was like, like good. All good. All right, Anne, how about you? Um I like the I shouldn't be alive because those are fun to listen to. <laughs> Rebecca Jenna, which shoes do you recommend for therapists to wear on acute care? Tennis shoes. Tennis Rocks. shoes. Gotta run sometimes. <laughs> cool. And Aaron, anything you're doing for PT month? Continuing doing this work, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Pushing our advocacy work. Okay, cool. And actually, I'm gonna steal them that question too for Rebecca and Jenna. What yeah. are you doing for PT month? Both in the school system and also possibly in the some of the hospital systems that you might be working in. Yeah, doing uh, a state conference. Things- Cool. Awesome. One of the things I'll be doing is joining the students with a where they started a walk with a future doc. Um, mm-hmm. And it's within the community, the local community. And it's every Saturday for the month of October. And we just walk with people that live in the community and educate on what physical therapy can do. Cool. That's awesome. awesome. And, and that is our Kinda. time. All four of you have to answer this last one. You know, you work in acute care when Rebecca, why don't you start? Uh, when you have a change of clothes at least like right. three times. Jen, how about you? When you receive a stat order to for someone who's potential discharge, but they've never had PT for the whole week and a half they've been in the hospital. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, that is so true. So true. Baron, how about you? When you change your shoes at your car. <laughs> yep. That's and yes, you leave your shoes under your desk. Yeah. Yes. Oh, great. We all we all share in these experiences as acute therapists. Um, if, if there's a way the audience can reach all of you, please email us and let us know so we can put it in the show notes because we're not going to share time doing it here because there's so many of you. But I know some some people may want to reach out to you, so we'd love to put that in the show notes. But thank you all for being here today. This was fabulous. Wonderful conversation. Thank you. Thank y'all. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. We would like to thank Rebecca, Jenna, Aaron, and Anne for joining us today. Acute Conversations is the official podcast of APT Acute Care. It is hosted by Leah Orgulis and Ashley Poole, executive produced by Katie Brito and Edward Mathis. Music by Alexia Action from Pixabay. Sound effects also from Pixabay. For more information about APTA Care, be sure to check out our show notes for links and resources to the Academy. 
If you found value from our podcast, please be sure to subscribe, follow, and share with your friends and colleagues. Join us in two weeks for a conversation with Beverly Fine and Chrissy Stein, all about acute care residences. Thank you for listening, and may your shoes and scrubs stay clean today. Can mispronounce obstetric in obstetric. this episode. I'm gonna have to pause, and I'm gonna laugh. You can you can put this in the outtakes. Leo can't say obstetric. You know, Let's practice Leo. Obstetric. Ob- obstetrics. Obstetric. Obstetric. Yes. Obstetrics. Okay, I got this. I got this. I can do sure. this.